We deal with PR agencies and PR people all the time over on my cycling tech blog, bikerumor.com. Some are great. Others, well, they could use a little help. And we see a mix of brands, small and large, new and established, choose to work with PR agencies all the time, with mixed results. To say there's a lot of bouncing from firm to firm would be an understatement. So I reached out to Verde Brand Communications founder, Kristen Carpenter, to learn more about how a company should work with a PR firm, what they can expect, and how they can get the most out of it. If you're a brand interested in hiring a PR agency to promote you, craft your message, and help get it in front of the media and consumers, this episode will give you a lot to think about. Please welcome Kristen Carpenter. by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Hey, Kristen, welcome to the show. It is so great to be here. Thank you for having me, Tyler. Yeah, so I'm excited about this one because, you know, being on digital publishing and the media side, we work with a lot of PR firms. And it's funny, you and I were just talking about how you don't want to be called a PR firm. But I I brought that up specifically because I want to talk about why, because the stuff you mentioned is basically still what I would consider a PR firm. It's just that maybe the role of that has expanded. So for entrepreneurs chiming in, the conversation today is going to really explain what a, you know, quote unquote PR firm does and how they've evolved a little bit, but mainly like what you can expect from them, what you shouldn't expect, you know, what what's realistic to expect when you're paying, because sometimes the monthly retainers can be substantial, especially for a startup trying to figure out, you know, like where can I best budget? So Let's just dive in with that question. So I said it is Verde PR. Now it's Verde Brand Communications. I called you a PR firm. And you're like, well, we're really a brand communications firm. So what all does that entail? Like what what do you do? All right. Well, you have to spin to win, right, in my line of work. So <laughs> all right. And I just want to start by saying I love entrepreneurs. I love small business owners. I love um the people who are creating product in their basement and dreaming about how to, you know, bring it to their people and make their experience better. So I just want to say, I'm so happy that a bulk of your audience is comprised of people just like that. They're the most passionate, the most dedicated, and you're right. They also are the ones with the biggest burn rate and retainers are very challenging to handle. Um, So I just thought that what I would do is look at today's consumer and shopper you know, I hear that term is interchanged a lot right now at the beginning of 2020. And all of us are ultimately trying to reach those people with what we do. And the role of what Verde does is basically we are an agency that, believe it or not, we're 19 this year. My son is turning 18. I started the agency when I was pregnant with him, which is always a great idea. We did also get a puppy that at that same time. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My dad started in that agency the year I was born too. So 
Yeah. <laughs> and look at how well you turned out, Tyler. Yeah. I like to think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, I digress. But basically, if we were to look at the North Star, and that is today's consumer who we're targeting with whatever it is that we're doing from a product or a service standpoint or a nonprofit, we have to figure out how to, you know, have them discover us, how to emotionally connect with them and how to nurture them and how to get them to do something, whether it's join up with us on some level, maybe it's a newsletter or a community of some kind or purchase a product. Um, so ultimately, a lot of what we do is help our clients understand exactly who they're trying to serve and where that person is, how they discover them, et cetera. And where Verde really kind of starts in that strategic process is we are specialists in helping brands develop their stories and bridge those stories to the audiences. And so in the past, I was a journalist for 11 years prior to opening Verde and worked for a lot of the endemics across all of the outdoor active lifestyle markets, uh, but also always had a business publication, whether it was a trade or broader business publication. It's just I've always loved business and entrepreneur you know, anything that has to do with that. Um, and I have to just say that storytelling is really at our DNA. Um, and I think it differentiates us because we're very strategic and very disciplined about leading with story first. And ultimately, a, a PR agency, I think, is more about, you know, point them in a direction to spray, and they will. And I think that a lot of that can be very effective in terms of, like, broader visibility and, um, you know, creating that high top of the funnel visibility, like how do I get people to discover who I am? That can really work well. But when you're in these specialty markets and you uh, work with team like I do at Verde, who is super passionate about the brands and the products within the active outdoor lifestyle markets, bikes, snow, um, outdoor, et cetera, you, it has to be about the story. The story is what builds the emotional connection. It creates the community. And ultimately, that's a lot more than just, um, you know, gaining placement for the sake of a placement. We're basically trying to, I think, land grab attention and really win the hearts, minds and mostly attention spans of the target consumers that our brands are going after. Because it is just so competitive and so noisy out there that we have to keep evolving to do that for our brands. And it's a lot more than just public relations. Yeah. So you mentioned something I want to jump back to for a second that you know you point a PR a typical PR firm or let's say traditional PR firm at a goal and they spray whatever you have but that assumes that the brand has already has a story to give the PR firm say look here's our story here's our whatever you want we want people to know go get the word out for me and there's a lot of brands that don't have that yet or, you know, don't have a fully fleshed out brand story and brand identity and message to convey. And, I, you know, if you do that, it's almost like, you know, ready, fire, aim, right? Like you just, you spend a lot of money and a lot of effort trying to do something without actually knowing what you're trying to do. It's a good way to waste a lot of time and money. So how do you take a brand, let's two scenarios, right? Like let's say a brand has a dial, they know who they are and they, they have their story and they say, okay, look, this is what we need to communicate. What, what's your approach on that? And then let's talk about a brand that comes to you and says, look, we, we make this killer product. We help. Help. And we get that a lot. So even the established brands um, can never rest on the laurels of having their community's loyalty because of the nature of consumers today. I mean, I'm sure, Tyler, your audience is aware that 
most of us have attention spans less than eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish. And who knows how the hell they measure a goldfish's attention span. I would actually like to know that. But point being is consumers have, you know, shorter attention spans than ever before. And they're being trained incessantly by Amazon, which is literally the global leading retailer. It's just an enormous beast of a retailer with incredible amounts of data at its fingertips and physical storefronts now um, training our consumers to have basically perfect experiences. And I say perfect because they own our credit card information. We're prime members and very, very rarely do they mess up on delivery. I mean, let's just face it. I know there's a lot of unethical stuff that goes on in that whole chain of, of what happens. But at the end of the day, when, when a brand doesn't meet our needs or expectations that are set by these other ginormous entities, like that actually can really break trust. Or for example, if a consumer sees a price on Amazon that they is different than what they see in their local bike shop, for example, that breaks trust. So the consumer is very fragile. The shopper is fragile in terms of like the trust that you're building with them. And they also have a short attention span. So you, as all of us know, listening here today, the bike industry is not known for dropping products every eight weeks or something like usually it's once or twice a year. I think that's going to be changing because consumers are expecting new products more and more. But the fact of the matter is, is we have to come up with all kinds of things in between launches to keep the consumer interested and in love with our brand and reminded that, yes, that's the brand for me. So for an established brand, it is an ongoing, you know, I think cage fight for attention, whether you're, whether you're really established or not. Um, I don't know if that answers your question on the established front, but that's basically what my answer would be there. Sounds like just maintaining momentum and, you know, keeping a consistent, uh, presence. But you have to do it in a way that isn't like mediocre, crappy, right? (laughs) You have to do things that are really going to be shareable. Um, I hate the word disruptive, but stunts, disruptive, putting influencers in in an interesting way, being okay if an influencer goes very off script, which they should, and celebrating that. Like do things that like are surprising your audience and getting them to share it or really like take notice of you. That's really important to consistently be planting that in there. Okay. I'm curious how you do that. Oh, uh, go ahead. (laughs) Talk about somebody who who needs a brand story and then we'll come back to – the, the hows and the whys. Okay. I'm happy to do that. So I have a great example for a never ever like brand new entity, which is, you know, when Mark Sackowitz from Steamboat Gravel called me, I think it was late September and we, he was planning on opening registration for his inaugural event. And we should, um, sorry for the non-cyclist listener, the Steamboat Gravel is a gravel race event. That's new. Uh, I think this was year two, right? them or yeah, first year 2020 is year two yeah so okay. the year i'm talking about is 2019 and that was brand new so he called me in um september of 2018 and told me you know i'm, I'm thinking of he has two partners up there and uh in steamboat and he's like we're thinking of launching an event and i was like fabulous and i've known mark a long time just through you know industry and business as he was the ceo of SmartWall, and basically he had a very audacious vision and no audience and basically had done some, you know, a very thorough understanding of like how to host the event, where to host it. And he had done a lot of events as did both of his partners. Um, so they knew kind of 
what they wanted to offer, what they could offer to their target consumer. And they really, that's an important point to keep. They were very disciplined about who that was and they built an entire, you know, launch um, activation plan around that person. Um, but they essentially counted on Verde to like build an audience and work with sponsors and influencers in a way that would, again, build an audience and enable us to have a pond to fish in when we launched. And we came up with a, I think a fantastic and really fun strategy to do that. Um, and it was super successful. So the first year it sold out, I think in a matter of five days, which by today's standard with a gravel event is a long time. We're just in a weird little bubble right now where things are selling out quickly. Yeah. Year but two is like 30 minutes, year, right? It was 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. But basically looking at year one, the event didn't exist yet. I mean, we are literally selling something that was nine months away when we opened registration that December on an event that didn't exist yet that was kind of in the middle of nowhere and was unproven. So we had no audience and no product when we launched. And the way that we did that was essentially working with sponsors, with influencers, and with media on several different types of campaigns on different channels, such as email, social media, um, video, which was funny because it was super homegrown, but very effective. And, you know, we ran a really, really tight calendar that we managed intently and we had a great result, but there was a lot of testing and learning and you had to have a different mindset. Like today there's no set and forget whether you're an established brand or an upstart. Um, and your audience loyalty is just so fragile and precious that you have to consistently be earning it and listening to them and, and, I think that's another big part of it that we could talk about too. All right. Okay. Let's talk about, um, rather than the how and the why, because that's probably more your secret sauce. What I think I say this from somebody who sees brands in the outdoor and cycling space kind of jump ship from one PR agency to another, to another, to another, you know, over the span of four years, the same brand might have gone through three or four or five different agencies. What, are realistic expectations. Like if a brand comes to you, what should they expect you to do? And then what are some of the things that they maybe expect, but there's just no way? What a great question. I mean, literally, I know that you and I are both podcasters. And usually when someone says, what a great question, they're like trying to <laughs> buy time and think of a response. But honestly, I'm not doing that. I think that is a fantastic question. And it's actually tying into such an interesting um, progress program we're working on at Verde. We're actually, um, updating our, you know, welcome series for co new clients. And, and it sort of sets the expectation, which we also of course go over in the pitching process, but I've heard multiple exceptional clients say that hiring the right agency is like getting married. So obviously you can't have multiple wives and husbands. So I think a big part of that is you want to try and get consistency in house on your team. If you have a lot of turnover in your marketing department, I would maybe try and get that fixed before I invested in a PR or brand communications or digital, whatever agency you're looking at for help. Um, but ultimately that's, I think the most important thing is that your internal org chart is stable and in order and you understand the business goal that you're all going toward because ultimately an agency should be additive to that. Everything they do should be tied back to a business goal and, and creating visibility and creating opt-ins or whatever it is, whatever the, you know, metric is today. We don't just like put it out there and get the placement and move on to the next thing. I mean, the placement 
is still really difficult to get. It's getting more and more competitive. But what we do with that is really where we bring our most value. And that's tied directly back to the client's business goals. So I think first and foremost, you have to have a great, stable team in-house that understands that an agency partnership will require time to manage. Don't be afraid to push them and make sure that you're transparent, not only on like the quarterly goals and how you're being pressured for growth internally, but let them bring you ideas instead of just telling them what to do. I would think that part of what you're hiring them for is their expertise in terms of like how to position something and whether you choose to like change tact or, or incorporate that, that's really up to you. But that's really, I think, a big part of the value that the right agency partner can bring is just more perspective. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I do feel like making sure that there's a very, you know, solid, you know, seat at the table for that agency around understanding like, okay, 18 months out, we're launching this product or nine months out, this is happening or three months out or six weeks out, giving them like, this is the runway, this is when we're launching, and being super open with them on delays you might have, et cetera. Like, I can't emphasize how important it is that if, if the agency is generating growth and traffic and there's a delay on the product and they're coming to the site and something's not ready or something like that, there's really, again, that first impression is kind of blown with those new consumers that you're bringing in or new shoppers, whatever you want to call them. So... I don't know if I'm answering your question. This is probably a, a small book that I could write for your audience, but I'm happy to keep going if you want to direct me on on more angles here. That's some. Yeah, I will. So first, tell me, what are unrealistic expectations? What do people come to you and expect and then like just get all pissy when it doesn't happen? <laughs> well, I think it's a flag and normally we don't you know, jump in the ship with, with a client if they say to us, we want to be on Ellen or, you know, in the next two weeks we want this or, um, I mean, there's usually when they, when they come to us, they've been waiting a long time to be able to step up and, you know, have an agency relationship or they weren't getting what they wanted from a previous firm. And that kind of ties back to that, uh, unrealistic expectation perhaps. Um, so I think communicating with them around like, what your business goals are and saying, you know, here are where we think we'd like to be to make that happen. What do you think back to the agency? And then how do you think you, you know, the odds are of making that happen? A solid agency will be really honest with you on that. Um, and I, I really can tell you like people do see the value of, uh, of, of a media placement today. Um, if they're actually using the placement to get in front of people, meaning like, let's say I get a placement about bike rumor winning the Pulitzer prize or something, right? Sure. Let's, <laughs> if we, let's go if we, yeah. And if we put that on your social outlets and we post it on your site, that's fabulous. But where, where it's really going to matter is if we're like pushing it out to get in front of people in creative new ways, or, um, I guess, you know, for example, if we were to get a client on a broadcast opportunity, obviously we would want to just repurpose that and put it on channels that it makes sense for um, on social media, in their newsletter, with their brand partners or stakeholders, et cetera. Like we really do everything we can to get the eyeballs and action on it and get, get the consumers to do something with it when they see it. Um, so really, I just think an example is, is 
it's hard enough to get the placement these days. And I think that being really, really honest with the brand you're working with on how you're going to get that placement is really important, but ultimately being clear with them on an expectation on the work starts once the placement comes in is equally important in order to get the placement and get the value from it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, what do they say? Like, or Gary Vee always says, you know, like he'll go do like a 30 minute speech and then they'll pull probably 230 second snippets out of that. And it's all over his different socials with different graphics. So they make full use of any little bit of exposure or speaking opportunity. It sounds like similar concept, right? Like if, if you get a placement for somebody, how can you reposition, cut and trim and use that in as many places as possible? Absolutely. And I mean, believe it or not, that one of the biggest no brainers is to make sure it's visible on your, on your home website in your owned media, meaning all your social media. But if it's a really solid placement, you want to make sure that it's highly visible there because ultimately people come to the website to get the true story. Like I hear all these things or I'm hearing about this brand. I'm going to go check out their site. And if they see that third party validation right there, that's great. Or another place like if they're, let's say it's a brand and you have some IBDs that you work with, or you're at an event, you want to make sure the placement is somehow inserted into the journey of the person, either before they go into the store, before they're at the event or as a follow-up. So you can use these events as a way to really validate their purchase decision too, if it's a product placement. Right on. And so I, to flip that around a little bit, some of the thing I, I would almost say, like if you're a brand buyer, beware if a PR agency promises you certain amounts of or certain types of exposure because ultimately you can send that information out but it's up to the media to publish it or the people to use it well you are um, one of those media people i mean how many um, awards would you like to give out for like poor form on on having news sent your way <laughs> probably a lot and it's not because uh, they're bad people they just they they don't take the time to understand what you're publishing how you're positioning it um, I, we do a lot of research before we even present something to a title or before we even give strategy to a client. Um, a great example right now is what's happening in gravel, right? Everybody wants to be on the gravel train. Everybody's trying to position themselves that way. Um, some of the most, you know, innovative stuff that I've seen from a product standpoint is being validated and vetted with longer form content or on tech sites such as yours. And then the brands will like pull that together and offer it to their communities in an easy way for that person to engage with. It could be YouTube, whatever is working for that brand. They know the channels that their that their um, target shoppers are on all the time. So again, making it easy for them and giving them that third party validation probably in a couple different places because I think it takes seven or eight times to get a message across to somebody because of all the traffic and information and noise that's online. So you have to keep repurposing it in a creative way. All right. Well, let's talk about working with the media. And, and there's two uh, two aspects of this that I'd like to talk with you about. Um, because coming from it from a publisher standpoint, we deal with a lot of different PR agencies and stuff. Some some certainly do it better than others, or you know, maybe a brand has an in-house person, and we get some really good press releases, and we get some really bad press releases. But as far as um, working with the media goes, what is obviously you build relationships. Like we've got good relationships with you and your team, and and there's a lot of other agencies in the cycling industry that we have great relationships with and they can, they kind of know that they can count on us to help get their stories out. And we kind of know that we can 
telling them to maybe get a little scoop once in a while on some brands that they work with and stuff. Are there, what would you tell a brand when they come to you, they want to get placements in their industries, publications, and as far as like, what do they need to provide to you? And what, you know, like how quickly does action start happening? Because like you said, it does take time sometimes. And I think that maybe that's where some of the churn comes from is they come in and they expect immediate results. Like how long does it take? What do they need to give you? You really are asking fantastic questions. Um, and I, I want to first apologize for not addressing that earlier because that is one of the most unexpected not unexpected, but unattainable expectations is being able to tell somebody who's sitting on the other side of the table who has, you know, a burn rate and a budget for you, how long is it going to take before I start to see results, right? That is like the 64 bajillion dollar question. It really depends on the business goals. And I feel like there are ways to create small wins that can be more short term. But some of the bigger wins that I think brands really have, like, in their dreams about working with an agency is are the big hits and the big flood of visibility that, that will come from that. I mean, that is a true moment that can launch a brand and that those are harder to come by. Um, we do have some successes that happen sooner, but it really depends on, I mean, I would say it's much easier to accomplish, you know, like a micro community, like, in the case of the climbing industry, bouldering, or in the case of the ski industry, maybe it's free ride or, you know, it's not such a general product. Um, so I think we can re achieve gains more quickly when it's a more niche product. Um, as we are a specialty agency. We serve specialty brands. So I feel like that's something that's definitely true. Um, another place that I think short-term wins are, are um, available to us is if a brand is invested in some sort of an image asset or video storytelling, that's also something that sometimes we can chop up, like you said, Gary V style and get some visibility and create some traffic. Um, ultimately we have to have something we're driving toward, whether it's like a landing page or a website or a sign up, you know, wet registration page of some kind. Like those are things that I think confidently you could say you can get a shorter term win. Those longer term wins, um, come from relationships. And honestly, it does take time to build trust and you have to understand the right opportunity and positioning in order to pull in something that's going to create those results. And some of that is contextualizing it, right? So if we know that a brand wants to be in an in-flight magazine, we have to have the right story for the audience reading that that'll bring the right audience from that magazine back to that brand. Right. Otherwise, it's kind of a wash. I mean, we've gotten clients in the early days on morning shows and those are huge visibility opportunities, but they didn't really move the needle because that broader consumer didn't really identify with the client we were pitching. An example is Metolius, our founding client, which is a fantastic family owned climbing hard, hard goods and training company in Bend, Oregon. We've worked for them all 19 years and literally we've gotten them on some huge broadcast opportunities that haven't really moved the needle for them because not everybody like pops over to their website and can relate with people pulling down on like 515, you know? <laughs> right. Probably a lot of people so, don't even know what that means. <laughs> exactly. So it's like they can't, they can't identify with it. So the, the strategy comes from enabling the client to understand how visibility and the steps are going to, you know, the steps of discovering are going to get them to their goal. 
And ultimately, if it's at the beginning of the year and they have a goal at the end of the year, great. I think that there's huge possibility that could happen in that window. Um, the other thing that I think is super important to mention on this point, and for a lot of founders and startups who are listening, this is fantastic for you because you're just probably formulating a lot of this internally at your company as you're growing. You want to have goals that are not just like a blueprint from how you think things should be done because you're seeing maybe older competitors in your space have those types of goals. And what I mean by that is like, this will help us open retail. This will help us sell more from our website. It, it's so specific to every brand these days because every brand should be really running and gunning for a very specific consumer and, and the internet, Yahoo, sorry, Yahoo, that's hilarious. YouTube, <laughs> Google and YouTube make it so possible for us to be micro-targeted we have to be very targeted and very niche to be disciplined to that, to like reach that absolute target person that we're trying to win the attention of. Um, so I feel like a good agency partner will reel the client back in and say, I hear your goal. This is where it's supposed to drive your business. I totally get that. And here's how we can get there with your audience goals, right? That to me would be a trusted partner, not I'll get you on Oprah. Right. So the flip side of the working with the media question is, you know, what I've seen a lot, and, I, and this has affected us lately, is there's been a lot of brands in the cycling space who have decided that all of their budget should go to a PR firm, a PR agency, brand communication. And they've basically said point blank, yeah, we're not going to do any advertising. We're just going to use PR. To which, which basically tells us that like, oh, so you want us to post all of your stories for free and you're going to give all your money to somebody else. And I know, you know, my media peers, there's been a lot of conversation and some have just said, look, yeah, okay, well, if you're working with this agency and this agency, we're just not going to cover anything they send us. And there's, um, there's definitely some agencies that we feel very strongly about in a negative way because they do really just try and abuse the fact that if they send us a product now and then to review, it's like, oh, we're sending you a free product. I'm like, you know how many helmets I have? How many bike cycling shoes I have? <laughs> like, I don't like. Great, if you want me to review it, great. But there, there's got to be a give and a take, and so it, it seems to me that that's come about a lot lately. And I'm curious what your take is on that, and how you see that relationship going and evolving in the future between agency and brand and media outlet. Okay, so there's a couple questions in there, and I want to make sure I stay on track here because this is a super important topic. Um, here we are in February of 2020, and I'm not sure when Zapata Espinoza's article came out or <laughs> bicycle retail. Oh, it was fantastic. And, you know, if anybody has earned the right to say that, it's Zap, yeah. in my opinion. And, um, and I don't and I necessarily thought, agree with everything that he says. He and I have had some conversations, and for the non-cyclists listening, Zap's a very well-respected editor at another magazine who is very averse or at least has been very averse to any sort of paid content program within his publication but at the same time they're losing ad dollars left and right and without some sort of paid content program in place like that magazine is not going to be around very much longer because you need revenue from somewhere right um it is such an important topic um <laughs> and let's let's uh flip the script here and and look at this from a brand looking at a competitive landscape, how they fit in and how they can like show up to a consumer. So let's pretend that that's 
ultimately like we're all helping a brand get to the consumer is what I'm, where I'm going with this. Um, a, you can't control what the consumer is consuming or where they're consuming it anymore. And people in PR agencies who believe that they can control access to people within brands who relationship, who, uh, journalists have built relationships with for a long time before that PR person's butt hit the chair. It's not at all appropriate to do that in my opinion. And I'm a former journalist who I remember still calling some of the agencies that I worked with super closely back when I was a journalist covering bike, outdoor and snow. And I remember being kind of like irritated when a new person would start, Oh, I have to break another one in this kind of sucks. Or if they, God forbid, if would tell me you're not allowed to call so-and-so at the company anymore, I'm, I'm gatekeeping their time or their calendar. Like to me, that's just complete BS. We are in an industry that revolves on relationships number one. And the way that we make, you know, people's time efficient or create results for people on the agency side should be additive to those relationships, in my opinion. And I come from a journalism background. So journalists and media and now influencers are king and queen to me. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the things that we do to help freelancers, for example, expand their ability to publish more places, because that was one of the most challenging things that I found when I was in that position, you're, you're selling 80% of the time and writing 80 or 20% of the time it felt like. Um, so helping journalists is like what we do. And we help journalists who are covering things that we don't even have clients in because we have great relationships with those clients. But to go back to your question, I feel like it comes down to, I mean, what are we looking for in terms of the, is the competition for that retainer, let's say, is tied to a marketing budget and so is advertising. I believe that today your budget as well as, you know, my my budget capability should be a sales budget, possibly an events budget, as well as a marketing budget. And if it's a small company, maybe marketing and sales are the two silos of the budget. So I feel like we have to be really clear in terms of what our role is with that consumer. Journalists, if they are, you know, have integrity, they are providing critical information for people to make decisions. Um, one of the journalists that I interviewed recently on my show, um, is, is with blister. I'm sure you're familiar with blister. Heard of it. So blister is really interesting. It's, um, I'm, I know that you've probably heard of DC rainmaker. Mm-hmm. Okay. We love him. And, and gadget I think is not quite on the level of length and, and of everything that, that blister's doing, but ultimately blister's is putting out long, long, long form reviews and gives, I think a little bit more transparency to the type of reviewer that's reviewing the product because they understand in our passion spaces, people have limited money to buy the gear so they can go do the passionate, you know, that they love to do in their life on their weekends and evenings and all that. And so that's an example. And the reason I'm going down this rabbit hole is blisters content is performing a very specific role in the consumer decision journey. Okay. That's where somebody nerds out and reads every detail. Same with DC Rainmaker, right? (laughs) With electronics, there's no different. You provide something special to your consumers as they're in the journey. You're providing, I think the visibility, you're giving them tech assessment. You're, you're a trusted person who's deciphering the tech for them so that they can understand, is this for me? Is this something I need to upgrade to? That's super valuable. 
And then there's the, I think, inspirational, more lifestyle content that like say a bicycling would provide, right? And that's mm-hmm. serving like a broader consumer base. I personally feel like that this is tied back to the brand's budgets as an issue and evolving what success looks like around budgets or you know, handling budgets a little bit differently, I think is in order here and not looking at it from a legacy standpoint of like, I'm taking all of my marketing budget and putting it with this agency. I think it's more like, I'm going to take my marketing budget and look at the main channels that my consumer uses to learn about and engage with my brand. And I'm going to figure out how to work with all of those channels fairly to reach that consumer. Maybe the, the agency they're hiring is actually allocating some of their retainer to some of the paid content. I'm not sure. But my point is, is if everybody's serving that consumer, this really shouldn't even be an argument. It seems to me like the key performance indicators in-house at the brand have been in place for 10 years or more, and maybe they can be reevaluated now because the way consumers are researching and buying is changing. I mean, even Zapp's article came out three years ago, I think, maybe more. A lot has even changed in that time. I mean, you're about to host a conference on this topic, right? right. And you're probably going to address this at, at the at the peakcontentsummit.com. There I promoted it for you. Yeah, thank you. But seriously, <laughs> how can you not address this at that at that summit? You're gonna have Stephen Reginald there, who's one of the most prolific publishers in outdoor active lifestyle right now. Right. I'm curious to know what his take would be. Yeah, well, you know, they do a ton of paid content packages and in, 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 you know, enormous campaigns that span everything from, you know, normal banner placements to comprehensive content uh, stories and whatever through his thing. I mean, they've integrated it really, really well. And I think, you know, from our standpoint, if the media outlet's doing it ethically, everything's disclosed and transparent and it's done in a way that's providing value to the reader, that's... Uh, that, that to me is where I see that kind of thing being okay. But I guess my caution to the brands that are looking at a PR firm is just know that there is uh, – conflict's not the right word, but right? Like if you're taking all your budgeting and sending it to one party but you're expecting something out of the other, just know that the one that knows good and well that they're not getting any budget that they need – to operate and, and live with, then, you know, th- there's going to be some butting of heads in there somewhere. And I think, you know, the brands just need to be aware of that as well. Um, and understand that, you know, like if you expect something from the media, then that media needs to exist. And if all of the ad, you know, if, if all sources of revenue are being pulled away from the media outlets that you're expecting to run stories, there's just not going to be the media outlets. And we've seen it in our industry. We've seen a lot of titles, fold over the last few years um, for exactly that reason, really. So, Well, we've also seen a lot of retailers fold, but the innovative ones are staying. And they there are a lot of people saying that the U.S. was overstored, meaning there were too many stores. Um, that may or may not be the case. Um, and who knows like how many, quote, retail outlets will be happening with more pop-ups or more retail at events, et cetera. Like, I have a feeling that <laughs> that's sort of a moot point. But my point is, is the great publications that are evolving and serving that audience like nobody else can are not going anywhere. And as, you know, people on the other side of the uh, equation from, you know, PR being part of what we do, media relations, et cetera, we wouldn't, I mean, literally, I can't even consider 
not having the ecosystem in place. I think what you were about to, what you were calling complex to me is like the ecosystem that we all go through to bring an experience to a consumer, to endear that consumer. We're doing it together. Yeah. Okay. I got to ask, uh, from a retainer standpoint, you know, you guys are, how, how would you call yourself? Small, medium, large in terms of, uh, agency size. Well, um, I mean, as you're I not mentioned Edelman. Earlier, Nobody's Edelman. <laughs> Edelman would be like no. the monster, right? <laughs> I think that, you know, it depends on the, on, uh, if you're in like cycling or if you're in outdoor or snow sports, I mean, across all of those spaces, we've, we've, you know, had a 19 year run. We're definitely established and trusted. And I would say we're probably one of the larger agencies. Um, but keep in mind, we still have our founding client right. and, our founding client is a pretty small client. We consider them family, and they've never given me a raise in 19 years. <laughs> so let's, that's so what I wanted to get You guys to can do rates. the math, but <laughs> right. we also work with Gore-Tex and Implus, and we've got some big brands on the roster, but we also have midsize. We've got all different sizes of brands on the roster, um, and I think that what we really try and do is create um, as much trust and as much weight as we can with a certain consumer out there. So when we see a brand that might be smaller, that's going to help endear us to a really important consumer that's important for our you know, brand portfolio, we will consider that business for sure. All right. So what? just to give you know, companies that have never used a PR firm, sorry, agency, brand creative agency, um, before, what like what's a starting ballpark retainer and then like, what do you get for that? And then versus like something much bigger, like how does the, how does the service level increase off of base? It, it honestly, I, I hate to sound like I'm avoiding the question, but it's literally impossible for me to answer that because it literally is a case by case basis on every single company. And I will say that one of the things we're launching and it's because I love entrepreneurs and small businesses and some of them might be so new that they can't, even consider potentially, you know, it's not even responsible to be partnering with an outside agency because they haven't really built up their internal team. And ultimately you should have a strong internal team in place, um, if possible before you're hiring an agency for like a, a retainer engagement. So we're launching, um, a digital resource that's basically built for that entity, um, that is, and it could be used by midsize entities too. And it's essentially a DIY, um, community that has six different modules that teaches people to like do integrated brand communications and multi-channel sales and marketing. Um, and we're really excited about that and it's launching in Q1 2020. And if people are interested in that, they could opt into a community that we have there. It's basically just a newsletter right now, but at channelmastery.com putting your email and you'll get heads up on when that's going to launch. And that should be hopefully a cost effective way for people to kind of get their house in order. And also, um, there's another tier to that where a more established brand or marketing lead can also join in to get more one-on-one -on -one training or be part of a, a larger community. So, um, there's a couple steps there that I think are enabling Verde to serve more businesses that maybe aren't hand-to-hand -hand combat, if you will, retainered business with larger brands. So I can't tell you what a brand should be expecting in terms of like an engagement with a, with an agency. And I think any responsible agency leader would say the same, but I do think that there's a need for more resources for specialty 
And that's why we're launching this because ultimately like we have to help companies of all size be remarkable to their end consumers. So what will that program cost? Um, the, what a great question. Uh, it's <laughs> probably, I'm going to say it's probably 897 and it's a six module. So it's about seven weeks. There's a week off in between. Um, and that's a pretty screaming deal. In my okay. opinion, we'll probably raise the price later in the year. We're going to be launching it probably two or three times this year. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. And we'll have links to channelmastery.com and verdapr.com on the show notes, along with a quick recap of the episode and anything else you want people to know. I'm just really excited to be here. And it's very exciting to see you evolve as we were talking about with, you know, media landscape, um, your conference, your podcast, and, and the way that you're handling your coverage, I think is really great. And you're really keeping it simple, but on the edge. And I really like that. So I just want to say you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. Likewise. All right. All right. Talk Thanks to you later. So much. Bye. All right. biggest takeaways are that you need to have realistic expectations and you need to communicate with the agency. Regarding communication, it's critical that the brand keep them aware of product launch dates, delays, and other timing issues. Because if a launch is going to be late, it's better to know ahead of time and put the promotional efforts back too. Another thing to consider is where they're getting your coverage. Sure, getting on Oprah or the Today Show might be huge wins, but they may not move the sales needle if that's not reaching your target customers. Regarding retainers and pricing, one thing I'd personally recommend is weighing the option of hiring someone in-house full-time or part-time versus an outside agency. Pros include having someone there day in and day out that can ensure your PR efforts are deeply integrated into everything else your brand is doing, from sales to marketing to production and scheduling. It also gives media a direct point of contact that usually knows most of the technical questions that they're going to ask. Cons might be that the person lacks the direct communication lines that a good, established PR firm already has with media and key editors. That list can take a long time to curate, as do the relationships. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you like this, could you share a link to it or tell another friend about this podcast? That really helps me grow my audience and continue to get amazing guests for you. Here's hoping you're getting the word out about your amazing brand. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.